Well, at this time, the teenagers in college and career are dismissed, and anyone else doing discipleship are dismissed as well. And for the rest of us, let's take Leviticus chapter 6, if you will. Take your Bibles there or watch up on the screen. I trust everyone's having a good week. I've had an amazing week, a lot of fun, an enjoyable time. I got to spend some time with a few men of our church, and that was enjoyable, and getting to chat and talk about all sorts of things. And then yesterday, following up on Vacation Bible School, and uh, again today, I followed up on some more and enjoyed that. Uh, what a blessing. Uh, they're very well received. We have a gift bag we're giving everyone, and they are th- certainly enjoying that, and the kids are bragging on Vacation Bible School, the parents as well, and so we do praise the Lord for that. Uh, also, uh, we had several more sign up for Israel trip. That is in January, going into uh, February, and we thank you for that. Um, we're looking to have a few more sign up here soon, and then uh, we will open it up to other churches as well if we need to, and have a wonderful, wonderful time in Israel. If you've never been there, it's, it's just an amazing thing. I, I initially thought it wouldn't affect me very much. Like, uh, well, you know, I, I read in the Bible about Jesus. I don't have to stand where he stood. But, but when you get a stand in the same synagogue where Jesus stood up and began his earthly ministry, it's like, wow, that, that's something. When you get to pray in the same garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed before uh, he was crucified, that's impressive. When you get to go to the garden tomb and look in there and find out it's still empty. (laughs) And so what a blessing that is. One of the things I did was collect a rock from every single site. So I have a stone that I found inside the tomb, (laughs) wrote it on there. I got one from the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, There's actually an olive tree, a lot of olives in the Mount of Olives there, but uh, there's a few of them they say are 2,000 years old. And so it it was amazing. You know, you reach up and you just touch it, and it falls in your hand and gets in your pocket. And uh, so I have uh, leaves from one of the trees that Jesus might have prayed under. And... uh, from Caesarea and the aqueduct there the Romans built, they have not used that for about a hundred years. It used to look brand new, but when they don't use aqueducts, they dry out and start crumbling. In fact, you can just touch it, and if you wiggle it enough, a rock will pull out. It's just amazing. And uh, so I have names on all those stones uh, from all over those places, and uh, it's, if you've not been, it is a trip of a lifetime. We are in Leviticus chapter 6, and so we're going to look and read some in Leviticus chapter 6, and then in Numbers chapter 28. So let's start with chapter 6, and if you're able, if you could stand uh, while we read, that's okay. If you're not able, then you remain seated, that's just fine, don't worry. We're in chapter 6, verse 8, and reading down through verse 13. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his son, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. It is the burnt offering because of the burning upon the altar all night unto the morning. 
and the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. And the priest shall put on his linen garments and his linen breeches, breeches and shall he put upon his flesh and take up the ashes which the fire hath consumed with the burnt offering on the altar and he shall put them beside the altar. And he shall put off his garments and put on other garments and carry forth the ashes without the camp into a clean place. And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in in order upon it. And he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offerings. The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. Now, what I'm going to speak about, about tonight is called the purpose of the fire. So I want to read this verse one more time. Verse 13. The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. And now we're going to go over to Numbers chapter 28. And you understand that in Leviticus, uh, Moses has been given the law by God and is for the Israelites that have just come out of Egyptian bondage. Numbers is called... uh, or Deuteronomy is called the second law, but numbers is when they're counting people. And so they've taken account when they came out of Egypt, and now they're taking account as they're preparing to go into the promised land. So in numbers, uh, the message is to a whole new generation. You understand that a generation of them died in the wilderness, wandering for 40 years for disobedience. The spies were in the land of Canaan for 40 days. And so the judgment was one year for every day. They were there 40 days spying out the land, proving it was a good land, but fearful to go in. And for every day the spies were in there, God's judgment was a year wandering in the wilderness. God always has a reason for all of his numbers. So in Numbers here, chapter 28, we're speaking to a new generation. Those who never saw Mount Sinai. Those who never saw the fire of God come down upon the mountain. And Moses up there. And I'm sure they thought Moses just got burned to death. But he's in the presence of God. So we pick up in verse 1 and we're going to read through verse 6. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel, and say unto them, My offering and my bread for my sacrifices made by fire for a sweet savor unto me, shall ye observe to offer unto me in their due season. And thou shalt say unto them, This is the offering made by fire, which ye shall offer unto the Lord. Two lambs of the first year without spot, day by day, For a continual burnt offering. The one lamb shalt thou offer in the morning, and the other lamb shalt thou offer at evening. And a tenth part of an ephah of flour for a meat offering, mingled with the fourth part of a hen of beaten oil. It is a continual burnt offering, which was ordained in Mount Sinai. For a sweet savor, a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord. And let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and then you may be seated. Father, 
Thank you so much for loving us like you do. What a great joy to be called your children. And Lord, we understand we do not deserve that privilege, but we revel in it, we rejoice in it, we praise your holy name that we are your children, not by our merit, but by your grace. And we are so grateful, dear Father, to be called your children, unworthy as we are, and to know that we're beloved in the eyes of our Heavenly Father. Oh, Lord, we're so grateful, so thankful. And Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage of Scripture, and we talk about that fire that is to ever be burning upon the altar, I pray that we'll not only see its significance in history, but understand the significance of what that means to us here and now. What's it mean to my life as a New Testament believer all these many years after the resurrection? And Heavenly Father, I pray that it would be something we can all rejoice in. And Lord, I thank you for each person here tonight. I know that everyone comes with heavy loads. And Lord, there's so many challenges that life throws at us, but we are so grateful that we can overcome them all by the faith that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, uh, again, we thank you for that. So bless these good people, dear Father. I pray that they've come to get something, and I pray that you, the Holy Spirit of God, would feed them from your word. Lord, I do not have what it takes, but you do. And I'm glad to be a vessel that you could flow through. So bless these good people. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. you may be seated. Okay. So we're looking at the purpose of the fire. It says that the fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. And so why was it needing to burn 24-7? What was that about? It's going to tell us that there was a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. It's a little bit easier to start a fire in the morning, uh, do your sacrifice, let it die down, then start another fire uh, later in the day and offer your sacrifice and let it go down. So I want to share with you a few things, particularly three different reasons why this fire was to ever be burning upon the altar. But the first thing I want to say is the fact that every word of God has a purpose. Uh, there's no filler in the Bible. So uh, God did not mean for it to uh, be a little book, but then he looked at it and said, you know, I'm afraid that's, that's too small. I'm going to have to put some more in it. It's not like a modern day author that wants to sell a book and he's got 25 pages worth of thoughts, but he knows that he needs 300 pages to make it a book. Uh, it's not one of those deals. Every word of God has a purpose and every word of God is eternal. It's not only uh, inspired, but it's also preserved. And all these many years later, we have great re reliability in the word of God in fact, as a believer, I can have a hundred percent confidence that when I hold my Bible, that I can say, this is the word of God. I don't have to say, well, this is somewhat like what God would say. Uh, that's, <clears throat> that's not very helpful. Somewhat what God would say. 
you know, if you ever get pulled over by a police and he says, do you know how fast you were going? Uh, well, uh, no. You know what the speed limit is? Oh, I think it's somewhere between 50 and 100, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that's not going to help you. Uh, you don't want to know somewhat what the Word of God says. You want to be able to go to chapter and verses that this is what the book says. And it's the living Word of God that it liveth and abideth forever. And I want to just share a few verses before we get started on that. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 7 and 8. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass, and the grass withereth, and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. God's word stands forever. Not just in the original autographs, in the original writings, but God has promised to preserve his word to all generations. And might I just... Uh, politely say, that's why I do not uh, join the Bible of the Month Club, a new Bible coming out. Say, well, they all seem to say alike. No, that's not true. In fact, every new Bible is, is copyrighted, and you cannot copyright a book that's similar to another book. So even when it comes to Bible, every time there's a new, quote, translation, it has to be so different than everyone else or it cannot get a copyright. So they not only have to change the words, they have to, in areas, change the meaning. And that is why it's so important to believe we have a Bible where every word is inspired. Psalms chapter 119, verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. You remember that Moses got the Ten Commandments, the words written by the finger of God, the Bible says, on tablets of stone. Wow, to have the very word of God in your hand. And he comes down from the mountain, and what's he do? He looks at the children of Israel, and uh, (laughs) they have gone way on the wrong path, right? They're dancing around, they're unclothed, they're... Uh, worshiping two golden calves. And so Moses uh, says, let me gingerly put down God's word and then go deal with this. Well, if you know the Bible, that's not what happens. Uh, he's like any other man. He gets upset. He takes those, those tablets and throws them down and breaks them in pieces. And you thought, well, wait a minute. You just spent 40 days up there getting that and now you just tore them down. But the good news is, Forever, O Lord, O forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. So in other words, God always keeps the originals. So what did he do? He said, Go back up the mountain, we'll get it out again, and we'll give you the words that I gave you before. And so that's why we don't have to worry about the word of God. This book has been tried to be wiped out by then any other book in history by people all around this world. There's places right now, countries of the world, if they find the word of God, they're going to destroy it. And yet, copies of the word of God keep getting in, keep getting in, keep getting in, because God will always find a way to get people his truth and his word. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5 and 6 
For every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Jeremiah 23 and verse 29. Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rocks in pieces? Uh, Psalms 12, 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Now that's, that's an interesting thing. Silver, how do you purify silver? Well, you heat it up till it boils. And when it gets so hot that it gets almost to boiling, then all the impurities come to the top because silver is such a heavy metal. And because it's heavier than any alloy that would be mixed with it, the alloys come to the top and the silver goes to the bottom once you heat it up enough that everything's liquefied. And so then you have to scrape that silver and you get all the alloys and you get all the mixture and anything that would keep it from being pure silver and you get that out. And someone's well, asked one time, a person who worked with metals, how do you know the silver's pure? He said, it's easy. You look at it and you can see yourself. He said, once you're able to look at it and see yourself, and aren't you glad that we have a Bible that we look at it and we see ourselves too many times and we don't always look very good, right? <laughs> we don't always look good. That's why we love God's grace, amen? Uh, because when we don't look good, we know that God has forgiven us of our sin and saved our wretched soul and praise God, we're going to heaven forever and ever. Not what we deserve, but what we'll enjoy forever. And it says, and thou shalt keep them, O Lord, and thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So God not only promised preservation, uh, I mean inspiration, but God promised preservation. And let me just add this. If the word of God is not inspired, it doesn't matter whether or not it's preserved. But if it's inspired and not preserved, it doesn't matter either. Because if God doesn't preserve what he inspired, then it does us no good. These many thousands of years, hundreds of years later, it does us no good. If God does not miraculously preserve his word. One of the biggest arguments by non-believers is, well, you know, it was written so long ago, so of course it's been corrupted. Well, the problem with that is there's so many ancient copies they can compare with modern copies and find out that it says the same thing. And so God promised inspiration and preservation. Revelation chapter 22, verse 18 and 19. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. So the Bible says you add to God's word, particularly talking about the revelation, the book of Revelation and the revelation given in the book of Revelation. If you add to that, God will add the plagues that are mentioned in the book of Revelation to you. 
Whoa, you don't want that. Especially those uh, those uh, locusts with the head of a woman and long hair. Oh, no, I don't want that. That have a terrible sting and bite and you don't want that. What if you take away? It says God will take away your part out of the book of life. Now, some people say, well, that's proof you can lose your salvation. No, it's not. He didn't say he'd take your name out of the book of life. He said he'd take your part. This is talking about an unbeliever who would corrupt God's word by taking away from it. And the Bible says if we take away from God's word, an unbeliever would take away from God's word that his part would be taken out of the book of life. And here's what I believe. When you get saved, your name is written down in the book of life. But I believe for every person that's ever been born, there's space for their name. Because Christ died for everybody, didn't he? He died for all of us. He died for those who would not believe in him. And he knew they would not believe. But I believe in the book of life, there's room for everyone that's ever been born. So that even the hardest criminal like the thief on the cross, could turn at the last moment and say, remember me when thou comest to thy kingdom. So way before you were ever saved, God had a space for your name. That's how much he loved you. That's how much he cared for you and I. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And praise God, that moment we trusted Christ as our Savior, he wrote down in indelible ink. And his ink pen isn't like this. It doesn't have an eraser. (laughs) I've often said if he erased it every time I messed up, there'd be a hole where my name would be. He'd just keep going, uh, you know, until it all goes away. But praise God, he writes it down in indelible ink and never to erase it because we're not saved by works. We're not kept by works. We're saved by grace. We're kept by God's faith in him and trust in him. And so now all of that simply to say that God has a purpose for every instruction in his word. So when he says the fire shall ever be burning upon the altar, it shall never go out. That's a significant thing. Uh, God meant for those priests to make sure that fire never went out. And that's one of the reasons there's so many priests that are actively involved in the ministry of that small building called the tabernacle and the grounds around it in the Old Testament. But they had to do shifts all the time to make sure somebody had to get enough wood And keep in mind, this originated uh, in the wilderness. They had to come up with wood. They had to make a fire. They had to keep this thing going all the time. So let me share several reasons. First of all, the obvious purpose. The obvious purpose is to burn the sacrifices brought by God's people. So the obvious reason why the fire had to be going all the time is so that when people came with their sacrifices, Uh, uh, God was ready and the people of God was ready to do the sacrifice, the Levites particularly. In Leviticus chapter 1 verses 1 through 5, the Bible says, And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, 
Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hands upon the head of the burnt offering. Now, we've spoken of that before, but that is to identify with the sin. Remember, it's the lamb that's getting slain. But the owner of that lamb has to put his hands on the head of the lamb while the priest will take the blade and slit its throat and catch the blood. So literally, when the man puts his hands on the head of the lamb, he is saying, Lamb, what what is about to happen to you is what I deserve. That's what I deserve. You didn't do anything. I'm the sinner here. You're the lamb without spot or blemish. I'm the man full of spots and blemishes. And you put your hand while the lamb is slain and you're identifying with the lamb who is sacrificed. By the way, in the New Testament, you and I, in order to be believers... We don't have to join the church. We don't have to be baptized. We don't have to give our offerings. Those are things we do, but none of that for salvation. There is one thing we do that identifies us with the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is we place our faith in him. When we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are identifying with him, and we are identifying with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we are saying, when you died on Calvary, that's what I deserve. That's what I deserve. I deserve to be scourged. I deserve to be crucified. I deserve my sin is why you died. Our faith identifies us with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, may I say, you are happy to identify with such a wonderful Savior. Amen? Boy, I know I am. Happy. Such a wonderful Savior. And the Bible goes on, it says, And it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him, and he shall kill the bullock before the Lord, and the priest, Aaron's son, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar, that is, by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So this fire was kept burning so that when a sacrifice or offering was brought by any Israelite, And of course, in those days, the men brought the sacrifice. It's sort of like federal headship in that as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So Adam was, in in theology, federal headship. He was the uh, one who represented all humanity at the time. And when he failed, all of us failed. Now, we can't say, oh, he failed, so why should I worry? Well, because we would have failed too, and we do fail. But he was the example as in Adam all die. And, and so the head of the household, the male of the household would come representative of his sin and the sin of his children and the sin of his wife and the sin that, of his servants. And he would come uh, as a family and say, we have sinned before God and here is our sacrifice. 
And so was brought by any Israelite. His offering could be made to the Lord, and he would know that his sin had been dealt with. Uh, For instance, imagine there's an uh, Israelite man, and he's transgressed. He knows he did wrong. He had taken something that wasn't his. His neighbor had something that was not tied down, and he, he looked this way and looked that way and looked around, and his neighbor was gone, and none of his other neighbors were around, and he said, I've always wanted one of those, and he takes it, puts it in his tent. His wife said, well, where'd you get that? Oh, I've, I went to Goodwill at Malala, and they just had it there, you know. It just opened up last week, right? And I just, I just found it. Oh, really? Oh, well, that's nice. We've always needed one of those. He's done something wrong. He either stole something that wasn't his or he coveted it. And to covet, is, you don't have to take anything. It all happens in the heart. And so maybe he coveted uh, one of his neighbor's servants or maybe uh, some animals that his neighbor had or perhaps even his wife. The Bible tells us that's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. Exodus twenty seventeen says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, nor shalt thou covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is his neighbor's. It's very specific there. Anything he has, you can't, you can't want with your heart. Now he lays down at night. And he's trying to get some sleep. And, and this sin comes to him. And he, he thinks, yeah, oh boy, yeah, I sure messed up. I know, I realize that. He said, now first thing in the morning, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go out and get one of my animals. And I'm going to go down there and I'm going to do a sacrifice and I'm going to make it right. But try as he might, he still can't get to sleep. His conscience won't let him. He's trying to close his eyes and his sin keeps coming up before him and says, you did wrong. You haven't made that right. You know God told you how to make it right. You're not doing what God told you to do. And after about an hour of tossing and turning, he finally gets up as quiet as he can, gathers his clothes and puts them on without trying to wake up everybody else in the tent. Goes out to where he has his animals. And of course, if you raise animals, you know them all by name anyway. Well, of course, if you're going to eat them, you don't name them, but you know, he knows them all. And he knows which ones are without spot and without blemish. And he gets that lamb. Lamb chops are pretty good stuff. And he gets those lambs, that lamb, and he carries it. And he starts heading toward the tabernacle. Now he's got a little ways to go. Because when the tabernacle is set up, there's no tent within 2,000 feet of it. There has to be distance. That's a holy separation. God doesn't want anyone to get closer than 2,000 feet. And so then the tents, and he's probably, there's so many tents, he's probably a half a mile away at least. Beyond the 2,000. So he's got a journey and he's holding the lamb and he finally gets there. 
And sure enough, the fire's still going. And the priests are still on duty in the middle of the night, just waiting for someone just like him. I'm glad the Bible says of our high priest, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. And there they are ready to do sacrifice. And he comes with his lamb. And by the way, he doesn't confess his sin to the priest. He just brings the sacrifice. He knows what his sin is. God knows what his sin is. He doesn't have to share anything with God. He just comes with the sacrifice to the priest. He doesn't confess his sin before men. He's been talking to God while he's been carrying that lamb. He brings the lamb. He puts his hands on his head. Its life is taken. His blood is collected. His body is placed on the burnt offering. His blood is put over there. He watches the smoke of it. He sees it burning up. And it will burn to all the blood and all the fat is gone. But it doesn't burn up until all the flesh is gone. It, it burns up to all the blood and fat is gone. And then whatever's left, that's what the priests are able to pull off of there. Because that's what they live on. Keep in mind, they don't have sheep. God is their inheritance. And the sacrifices is what they live on as, as far as to eat as well. Having done that, he goes back and he gets into his tent. And he quietly takes off his clothes and gets in bed. And finally, sweet sleep. Because he knows he did what God said do. About his sin. And that fire is ever burning so that any man or woman or child, perhaps another situation would be the guy sleeping soundly and he gets nudged by his wife, that lovingly nudge that gets you half out of bed. What in the world, woman? What, Honey, I... I went to the market and they gave me extra change and I... I I, I, I didn't ask for it, but they, they gave me too much change, and I, I didn't say anything about it. And I, I should have, I guess. But it, it's not my fault, is it? Uh, yeah. I mean, you didn't say anything. Oh, that's what I thought. I can't sleep, honey. Could you go down to the tabernacle for me? Could you do that? And by the way, your son got in a fight with our neighbor. I think you, knew, you might take another lamb for him too, you know. Uh, could, you, could you deal with that? Yeah, yes, ma'am. I, yes, sweetie, I will. You see, whether it was his sin or his wife's sin or his children's sin or whatever it is, it's good to know that when you make your way to the tabernacle and you get to that place of burnt offering, the fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. And you can always make things right with God. Now you and I as believers, we have that wonderful privilege that we don't have to get up and get dressed in the middle of the night and make our way down to the church. By the way, we have no fire hopefully going on here at that time of day. Uh, but you can in the privacy of your own heart know that you're saved, but say, Lord... 
the Holy Spirit of God has laid this on my heart and boy, I did wrong today and the Holy Spirit of God is pointing that out to me and I just want you to know, Lord, I'm so sorry. I know that was wrong and I thank you for your forgiveness but I just wanted to confess that I know it was wrong and I'm so glad you love me and will forgive me. You see, that's what happens. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's not talking about salvation. That's talking about fellowship. That's talking about relationship. We don't confess our sins to God so that we stay saved or we get saved again and again and again. We confess our sins to God to keep the, the relationship sweet. Sweet. Fellas, if you ever speak a little harshly to your wife, you're preoccupied and you're trying to do something and she asks you a question and rather saying, well, dear, uh, let me get right back to you here in just a moment. Give me one minute to finish this and I'm going to get right back to you. And, and, but, you know, sometimes the old flesh will stick its head up and say, hey, can't you see I'm busy right now? I'm just... And, and, you know, you say something and you think, oh, man, that's not very good. But, you know, she, it's the wrong timing. But then you think about it and you think, uh, I need to make that right. That, that wasn't right. I, 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 didn't, I, didn't treat, I didn't treat her right. So you have to go and say, honey, I'm, I'm so sorry I spouted off. And, of course... She'll say, uh, oh, that's okay. I I didn't think anything of it. Well, well, I did. That that was wrong. I'm sorry. And I want to ask you to forgive me. Now, you're not asking for forgiveness so she remains your wife. But you're asking for forgiveness so the relationship stays sweet. Stays sweet. And that's what you want in a marriage relationship. You want it sweet. You want it loving and kind and close. And so if you haven't learned to say you're sorry a whole lot every single day, then it won't stay sweet. It'll get sour. So the first reason, of course, is the obvious purpose, and that is to burn the sacrifice. The second not so obvious It's as a constant reminder that the sin has been paid for. Whenever an Israelite saw the fire, they would remember the days that they stood before that fire. They would remember the times that they stood there with the lamb. They stood there with the bullock. They stood there with the offering. They will remember the time that they met with the priest. They met with God and God forgave their sin. It's a constant reminder Boy, at that altar, God did something for me. At that altar, God dealt with some sin in my life. It's always an obvious reminder, a visible reminder that sin was forgiven. And we know, theologically speaking, sin was rolled back. Jesus Christ is the one who paid it. But it was pushing it forward to the day that Jesus Christ would pay completely for sin, past, present, future, history, 
future altogether, one payment on Calvary. But we have that today. We look at the cross. And the cross isn't where we see Jesus sacrifice, you know, suffering for us. The cross is a reminder that he was on the cross, but he didn't stay on the cross. Praise God, he came off that cross. Praise God, he rose from the dead. But that cross is simply a reminder that he paid our debt on Calvary. So when we look at what God did for us so many years ago, it's a constant reminder of the time we trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. The fire was to be continually be burning upon the altar, a continual reminder that sin was dealt with. Praise God for that. By the way, you know, in, in, um, in a Christian's life, there are places that will become almost sacred to you. Not sacred in the sense that we worship or has any part in our worship, but they're a sacred place. The, the, the place you maybe knelt down and trusted Christ as your Savior is a sacred place. I, I could take you to the church in Clarksville, Tennessee, where as a nine-year-old boy I knelt down, and I've done that before probably, oh, it's probably 20 years ago now, but go there and go into that basement because it was just a basement church then and stand, I know, within six inches of the spot that I knelt down and trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Somewhere I have a picture. I had my camera and I took a picture of the linoleum. Back then, it was not linoleum, it was tile. You know how it is, a white one, then a black one, then a white one, then a black one, a white one, a black one. And that's how it was. And that's where I knelt down and trusting Jesus Christ. That's a, that was a sacred place. I was talking about it, and I, I, I couldn't get the words out. I just said, it was right there it was right there it was right there where Jesus saved my soul I couldn't even get it out all these years later I still can't get it out there's a few places that are sacred how about the place you and your wife stood when they pronounced you man and wife I could go to you in Alabama and go to that church and get on that altar and I could stand in the exact spot within six inches when I saw my bride coming down that aisle. And I can remember when we were pronounced husband and wife. And I can remember when we kissed for the first time. That was not the night. I'm sorry. I just threw that in there. But I remember when we kissed on that stage. I remember that. And I remember when we kissed for the first time. I could take you there, too. (laughs) But I'd never heard of Bible college. I mean, you know, where you couldn't do that. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sin and then for the people's. For this 
he did once when he offered up himself. He paid for it once. Hebrews 9.12, neither by the blood of, bo- of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered into once in the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, how much more then shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Hebrews ten nineteen. having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood. Hebrews thirteen twenty. Now the God of peace that brought again from uh, dead, brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. So just as that fire was a reminder that sin had been paid for, praise God, when we look at our Savior, when we look at our cross, when we look at what Jesus did for us, it's a constant reminder that our sin had been eternally paid for by Jesus Christ. Praise God. It's a wonderful thing to know that our sin was dealt with forever and ever and ever and ever. Oh, it's a wonderful thing. I don't always please my Savior, but my Savior always pleases me. I haven't always been obedient, but he was obedient even to the death of the cross. Praise God, my salvation is never contingent upon my performance, but always upon what Christ did for me. Wow. Wonderful reminder. And here's quickly another significant application for us. To the Israelites, the fire meant an offering was open when needed, but it also showed that this fire was before the tabernacle and inside was the mercy seat. To us, Jesus is our mercy seat, our propitiation. You see, once a year, the sacrifice was offered and the high priest would gather that blood. But rather than pour it beside the altar, as they did in the daily sacrifices, they would take that and they'd go through the doors of that tabernacle. And they'd go through the holy place. And they'd come to that altar of incense right before the the uh, drapes or the curtain. Now that altar of incense was where that myrrh and frankincense would burn, representing the prayer of the saints. But where they got that fire... The fire on that altar of incense came out of the burnt offering in front of the building. Because you notice how they would take those ashes and they would change their clothes and dump them outside. But for the altar of incense, they'd get some of those hot coals off of that burnt offering that burned some of the blood and fat from that sacrifice. And they would bring it and they would put it on the altar of incense and then the myrrh and frankincense, and the heat of those coals would burn that, 
and it'd be a sweet fragrance in the nostrils of God. And that's representative prayer. When you and I as believers pray, it's a sweet fragrance in the nostrils of our God. He loves to hear his children pray. He loves it. But that high priest wouldn't stop there. He'd go in and he'd take of that blood and he'd sprinkle it. First for himself and then second in the day for the children of Israel. But he would sprinkle it wherever he would step because he needs to get to that place called the mercy seat. And there he would sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat. And there he would do business with God on behalf of himself and then later in the day on behalf of all the children of Israel. Now the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is our mercy seat. It says he is our propitiation. The word propitiation is the word that means mercy seat. Jesus is our lamb that was slain. Jesus is our high priest who takes his own blood and offers it. And Jesus is the mercy seat upon which his own blood is offered. He's the sacrifice. He's the high priest. And he's the mercy seat. You see, Jesus isn't part of our salvation. He's all of our salvation. He's all of it. He's the sacrifice. He's the one that does the sacrifice. He's the altar upon which the sacrifice is given. He is the complete Savior. Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 and 10 and then we're through. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. He redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And that lets us know it doesn't matter where you live on planet Earth. He died for you too. Aren't you glad? Since Oregon's on the opposite side of the world of Jerusalem, where he did it all, and this would have been the furthest most Jesus Christ's redemption could reach on the opposite side of the world. And it's good for us too. Praise God. The purpose of the fire. It meant that a person could deal with sin at any time. You and I can deal with sin at any time. It was a constant reminder that our sin had been paid for. We have so many reminders as believers that remind us that Christ paid for our sin. Do we feel bad about things? Yes, we do. Do we have to live with guilt? No, we don't. Because we know our Savior paid in full. And then also, it is um, something that reminds us
that not only did he pay for our price, but he was the price paid. He is the person who paid it all. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we've had together. Lord, I I enjoy this truth. I'm so grateful that you uh, shared it with me and I can share it with others. And Lord, what a great God you are. And Lord, we do want you to know that we love you so much. And Lord, these are good people. They come out on a Wednesday night. Uh, Lord, they love you and that's why they're here. And I trust that somehow, some way, the Spirit of God spoke to each heart and gave us a truth that would help us and, or else remind us of a truth we already knew. And Lord, I pray your hand of blessing would be upon every life and every child that's here and every teenager and college age and other adults in other places, Lord. We are your children. We ask for your blessing. Lord, I pray you'll come home soon and take us home. Come get us, Lord. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand very quickly, if you can, for a short invitation. It may be that God's speaking to your heart about something. You can talk to him right where you stand. God saying something to your heart. Maybe you want to rejoice in his salvation. Thank him for what he did for you. So good to have each one of you here with us, and thank you for being here tonight. I enjoyed getting to speak at you a little. God bless you. You're dismissed.